Welcome to the KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast Series, delivering fresh insights and perspectives around major accounting and financial reporting developments across a range of timely topics. We thank you for joining today. Hello, I'm Luis Santa Cruz, an Executive Director at KPMG, and in today's episode, I have the pleasure of discussing two new SEC rules that were recently issued and will be effective this year. First, my colleague, Aaron McCloskey, a partner in our national office, will explain the final cybersecurity disclosure rules, and then Ellen Russo, a managing director also in our national office, will walk us through the background and details of the compensation clawback rule. Both Aaron and Ellen work closely with our engagement teams and clients on navigating the complexities of SEC reporting. So Aaron and Ellen, welcome to today's podcast. The SEC has a few ESG-related disclosure projects on its agenda, and the cybersecurity rules fall under the G, or governance, disclosure projects. Before we dive into the details of the rules around reporting cybersecurity incidents and governance, I would like to start today's podcast with some background on the purpose of the cybersecurity rules and an overview of the requirements. So, Aaron, the SEC has just adopted the cybersecurity final rules in late July, and it's applicable to public companies subject to the 1934 Act. Can you highlight some of the key requirements of the new rules? Hi, Lee, certainly. So the final rules are intended to provide investors with more consistent, comparable, and decision-useful information so that they can better evaluate a company's exposure to cybersecurity risks and incidents. With that, the final rule does expand public companies' cybersecurity disclosure obligations. So under the new rules, public companies will be required to disclose on Form 10-K information about its processes regarding cybersecurity risk management and strategy, as well as describe management's role in cybersecurity governance and the board of directors' oversight of risks from cybersecurity threats. In addition to those disclosures, the final rules standardize the reporting of material cyber incidents. Companies will now be required to file a Form AK to disclose material information about a material cybersecurity incident within four business days of determining the incident was material. And then to the extent any information was not determined or was not available about that previously disclosed material incident, that information will also need to be filed on an amended Form AK, also within four business days of becoming aware of that information. Four days? That seems like a really short time frame. It is and it isn't. Companies will be required to make their materiality determinations without unreasonable delay. In the final rules, the SEC did acknowledge that companies will need to collect and develop information after the incident is discovered and until it is sufficient to determine the materiality of the incident. And the SEC's view is that in conducting the materiality determination, companies should have the information that is required to be disclosed in the Form 8K about that material incident. It is still a short time frame, so companies will need to have processes in place to ensure that the relevant information about cyber incidents is identified and escalated to the appropriate management personnel to make the materiality determinations without unreasonable delay, as well as to allow for timely disclosures. And part of that process may include comprehensive documentation of the materiality assessment, and perhaps even about the timing of that assessment. Again, since there are only four days between the materiality determination and the AK filing deadline. 
So you've emphasized the word material a few times. Can you tell us how materiality is viewed in the context of the final rules? Is it different from how we normally define materiality under SEC rules? Yes, yeah, so the final rules did reiterate that the definition of materiality has not changed, and it is the same as is laid out in the securities laws. That means that information is material if there is a substantial likelihood that a reasonable investor would consider it important in making an investment decision, or if it would have significantly altered the total mix of information made available to them. Applying that standard in the context of a cybersecurity incident is certainly not straightforward. But it may be helpful to point out that the definition should be applied the same to cyber incidents as it is when assessing reporting obligations under other Form 8K items. Companies should evaluate all the relevant facts and circumstances. In doing so, companies will need to consider the impact of qualitative factors along with quantitative factors. The qualitative factors in particular will require judgment and may be forward-looking. The final rules did offer some qualitative factors that may be examples of material impacts to a company, and those included consequences such as harm to a company's reputation, its competitiveness, or relationships with customers or vendors, and the possibility of litigation or regulatory investigations and actions. And oftentimes when people hear the word materiality, they only think about numbers and the accountants, but Evaluating the materiality of a cyber incident will require the involvement of not only the finance and accounting management team, but also cybersecurity personnel, such as the CISO and the CTO, as well as in-house general counsel, the disclosure committee, and external securities counsel. So this will require collaboration amongst many parties. Erin, the compliance dates for the cybersecurity requirements start in December of this year. So what are the key dates that our listeners should be aware of? The filing of Form 8K to report a material cyber incident under the new rules begins on December 18, 2023. And companies that qualify as a smaller reporting company, they will have until June 15, 2024 before compliance is required. But until these compliance dates, companies should still file under the existing SEC guidance. And then providing the disclosures about the company's cybersecurity risk management strategy and governance are required in Form 10-Ks for fiscal years ending on or after December 15, 2023. So that means the 2023 Form 10-K for calendar year-end companies. So not much time to prepare. But I will say as companies are preparing, they should consider putting any needed changes in place now to be ready for those dates. And one last point on compliance. The Form 8K and Form 10K disclosures are required to be tagged in inline XBRL, but those compliance dates are not until 2024. So those dates are fast approaching. How should companies start preparing now? Yes, Louise, those dates will be here before we know it, and this is certainly not something to wait until the last minute. While we don't expect this to be a heavy lift for mature companies that have established cyber processes, it will still require those companies to evaluate their cyber processes from the perspective of compliance with each aspect of the final rules. All companies should be evaluating whether they have sufficient disclosure controls and procedures to ensure that the information about cyber risks and incidents is escalated quickly enough and to the appropriate personnel so that the required disclosures regarding cyber risks and incidents can be made. Companies may also want to think about drafting their disclosures on risk management strategy and governance as they begin preparing their Form 10-Ks. 
But the overarching message here is that companies should start preparing now to ensure that they have ample time to revise or develop disclosure controls and procedures regarding cybersecurity before the December compliance dates. So Erin, that was a really good discussion about the cybersecurity rules. And now we're gonna switch gears to talk about compensation with Ellen. So Ellen, can you summarize for us the SEC's new compensation clawback rules? I know they were just approved in June, but it feels like we've been talking about clawbacks for a long time. Thanks, Louise. And you're right. We have been talking about this for some time as these rules date back to the Dodd-Frank days. After a number of revisions and comment periods, the SEC approved the final listing standards from the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ on June 9th, 2023, to implement the SEC's clawback rules. The rules require at a minimum that a company's recovery policy apply to incentive-based compensation received by executive officers in excess of what they would have received based on subsequently restated financial statements. This applies to any compensation that is granted, earned, or vested based wholly or in part on achieving any financial reporting measure and a financial reporting measure is any measure taken directly from or derived from the financial statements, or it can be a performance measure based on stock price or total shareholder return. For purposes of the rule, compensation is received by executives based on when the award's financial reporting measure is achieved, not when the award is calculated, paid, or granted. So a good way to think about this practically is to consider when the compensation is earned. So while the effective date is October 2nd, 2023, companies must adopt a recovery policy that is compliant with the listing standards by December 1st, 2023. So like the side rules, this is coming up quickly. The rules will only apply to incentive-based compensation received by executive officers on or after the October 2nd effective date. And in addition to adopting a recovery policy, if an accounting restatement triggers recovery after December 1st, a company will be required to provide certain disclosures about the restatement event. So that's really helpful background on the requirements of the rule, but can you explain a little bit more about the restatement events that trigger the company's recovery policy? Sure, Louise. This is an important aspect for companies to understand and incorporate into their policies a company's recovery policy will be triggered when the company incurs an accounting restatement that is either material to the previously issued financial statements, what we commonly refer to as a big R restatement, or it is one that is not material to the individual periods in which the error arose, but it would result in a material misstatement if corrected in the current period or if left uncorrected in the current period, referred to as a little r restatement. It is important to note that there is no discretion in triggering the recovery policy when either of these events occur. And the policy applies to executive compensation regardless of fault. One other point that I would like to stress here that often causes confusion, it doesn't matter what terminology a company uses to describe an error. Management should look to the substance of what is being corrected and if the amount, the classification, or its presentation was inappropriate in the prior year, then it is an error, which, if material, triggers the company's recovery policy. 
Ellen, it seems like companies have a lot to think about in developing their policies, and December 1st is right around the corner. Can you tell us what types of things management and their audit committees should be thinking about as they finalize their policies by December 1 deadline? You're right, Louise. There is a lot to unpack with these new rules, and the time is short. There are many considerations that will vary depending on the company. Some companies may already have clawback policies in place, which may or may not need modifications to comply with the new rules. Others may be starting from scratch. So while the list of transition considerations is long, I can highlight a few that may be helpful to our listeners as they think about adopting these rules. First, the recovery policy applies to a broad group of executive officers. This definition is intentionally broad to include executive officers who perform a policymaking function, or an important role in the preparation of financial statements, as long as those functions are significant to the company. As I mentioned earlier, the policy must be no fault and applies to these executives without regard to whether they have any responsibility for financial reporting. As I discussed earlier, some executives already have compensation plans in place. If a company is planning to update those plans to comply with the requirements of the new rules, there could be accounting and disclosure implications of those changes for the company, as well as implications for the executive employees if their compensation plans change. With respect to controls, companies should evaluate the ICAFR and disclosure controls and consider if they need new or enhanced controls in response to the rules. In addition to looking at compensation controls, management should take a fresh look at controls over how errors are evaluated and communicated including segregations of duties related to these functions. Some may find that they need one or more incremental financial reporting controls in this area. For example, in the past, some companies may not have directly evaluated whether little r errors were material to the current period because there were no consequences of pushing the errors back to the prior period. However, the new rules require a company to determine whether the error would have been material to the current period because that conclusion will affect whether the little r restatement triggers the recovery policy. So in this case, the company would need to revise its processes and controls over the evaluation of little r restatements in response to adopting the policy. Companies should also be considering what their new disclosures will look like and whether they need to adopt or enhance disclosure controls in response to the new rules. And lastly, one other point, we would also expect companies may notice changes in their audit process, such as more interaction with the audit team and the compensation or other relevant committees, new controls becoming subject to the ICAFR audit, and along the lines of what I mentioned earlier, potentially more judgment and rigor around the assessment of the materiality of an error to the current period when that error is being pushed back to a prior period through a little r restatement. So you're right, there is a lot to consider with this rule, and we're hopeful companies are already working with their legal counsel to develop their policies and with their auditors to evaluate potential accounting and control implications of these rules to be ready for the December 1st adoption date, which will be here before we know it. Erin and Ellen, thank you so much for spending time chatting with us today. I think that was a great overview of both recently issued SEC rules, and I would encourage those interested to read our defining issues on the cyber rule and our hot topic on the callback rules. 
both of which are on KPMG's financial reporting site. So thanks again, and I look forward to speaking with you both on future podcasts. Thank you for listening to this KPMG financial reporting podcast. For more in-depth financial reporting developments, analysis, and podcast episodes, please visit frv.kpmg.us and be sure to subscribe today. Also, we're social. You can also follow us on LinkedIn at KPMG Financial Reporting View or with hashtag KPMGFRV. Thank you.